Hi, I'm Kess Otterleaf, and welcome to Margins and Memorations, the podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with your friends. As I don't have social media, this is the best way for people to find out about me. If you'd like to know more about my work, you can check out otterleaf.com. Otter, like the animal, leaf, L-I-E-F-F-E. I've had the honor of meeting Sadaf through our community organizing work together in Berlin. And after many months of sending each other podcasts, i.e. very long voice memos, we finally made a real official podcast episode together. In this gorgeous conversation snuggled up in a quiet corner of a community center, we discuss friendship, transformation, and forgiveness, and how different our marginalized communities could be. Sadaf is a Berlin-based writer and activist. With a PhD in visual and media anthropology, they've been active in different fields, including university teaching, social work, community organization, and video production. Sadaf is committed to tackling social justice topics through an intersectional lens. They see the practice of accountability, solidarity, and transformative justice as tools for creating and maintaining communities that value collective care and radical healing. Sadaf's writings have been translated to several languages and have been featured in publications such as The Guardian, Jadalia, and New Socialist, amongst others. You can find more about their work at Linktree, which is linktr.ee forward slash S-A-D-A-F-J-A-V. I hope you enjoy this episode. Um, yeah, what shall we talk about? I'm yeah. so excited so yeah we had some ideas of like talking about community accountability um just like how to create spaces that allow for like forgiveness but also Mm. where people can be heard like equally Mm. um and all of that how i mean a lot of people talk about it but how it is in practice Mm. and within our communities which we see a lot of problems happening but yeah so what can we actually do right (laughs) that's something but like what do you think i think that sounds great i think that's something that yeah we specifically worked on as well and thought about a lot with the transformative justice working group Mm -hmm. that we're both a part of i feel like it's something that just comes up in our conversations all the time. It's like such a pressing community need in a way to be able to find ways to work through people fucking up and kind of know that that's a thing that people do, find ways to deal with it, think about accountability, find ways around punishment, find alternatives, but also fix the thing and take care of the people affected by things. And yeah, educate people to stop making the stupid same stupid mistakes again (laughs) i feel like there's so much in there um and it is a really pressing need i feel like it's something that just keeps coming up and it comes up in our conversations a lot because yeah the communities we're in it does seem like something that just keeps surfacing that people just don't really have good solutions for and i think one of the things i notice is that when we don't have skills we just kind of fall back on a default skill set, mm-hmm. which is like, oh, we have to punish people. Is that that's what we learn from society? That's what we do. Um, that's kind of the only model we've got. Yeah. So it's almost like a an instinct or something. It's like that's just all that people have to resort to. You're like, oh, a bad thing happens. 
punishment, right? That's what we do. Uh, and you see, I don't know, even just like in TV or something, it's like that's all there is. There aren't any alternatives. So I wonder, yeah, what are the alternatives and how do we make those more instinctual? Yeah. I think also a part of this problem is also the fact that we have internalized this punishment system. And sometimes I think we keep ourselves to this higher standard of like thinking we are not allowed to make mistakes. Mm. So even if we also are like agree with this whole transformative justice approach and all of that, I think a lot of us still like when we make mistakes, we are like, oh, we fucked up. And like, if we admit that we fucked up, then we're going to be punished, Mm. even though we don't believe in punishment ourselves. Mm. And we kind of, instead of like trying to just like reduce the harm or change the circumstances or like take accountability, we just like start to, I don't know, kick other people like, no, this is happening or like um, just... um, gaslighting other people or like all sort of these methods happen once you are in that position and I think that's also something that I've also came across a lot in the community to see that people are so afraid of admitting because it's told they think like they there is no way for them to admit and it's still like be treated in a human way or like not being cancelled like we can say yeah I fucked up it was wrong of me and that's okay and everybody accepts and I feel like no matter how hard sometimes you try to let your people around you and people you love know that it's okay to make mistakes. We are human. Like our nature is to make mistakes. Like that's never going to, nobody's perfect. We all make mistakes. It doesn't matter what, like, however we are, because sometimes our mental reactions are different to our awareness and that's absolutely normal. But yeah. I like how you put that. Our reactions are different to our awareness. That's a really, that makes so much sense. It's like, okay, I know I'm supposed to do this thing, but that's not how you react in the yeah. moment. And you, you know that that's not the thing. That's not completely correct. But sometimes that's just how we react. We haven't deprogrammed all those things that we were programmed to in the first place. I really like that. Yeah. I also like, like, remember, I was scrutinizing myself for thinking of like oh i end up in relationships where i am i know what is happening i know i understand where where i come from and why i feel that way and i why i feel the need to the constant need to get security from the other person and Mm -hmm. this kind of attachment style and one although i knew everything about it but once it came to it i would just like i would do the same thing and i could see how the pattern was like putting me in the same position that i was in before and it was like killing me to to see that i was like so okay, I can see exactly how this is going to go. I can see clearly what, what I'm doing wrong and how it's going to actually bite me in the ass later. But at the same time, I couldn't avoid it. And I think there are situations in which like you are like something is activated within your body, like mm-hmm. your trauma, like PTSD, or like there are stuff that like happening in your body and doesn't matter that you know, okay, this is it. And you might react in a way that is not in line with the things that you believe in. And I think that's also okay. And you can mm. talk about it. And I think people understand that. Mm. But yeah, again, there is this push to be like, oh no, like I had the right to do this. Which sometimes you do, but it's still, um, it's also okay to say like, yeah, I had the right to do this because of this and this and that. And because of all of these structural oppressions that I've been like enduring. But at the same time, yeah, I could have reacted in a better way. And that's... Mm. That's sometimes I feel like that's so easy. Right. <laughs> it's so difficult. Um, yeah, just because sometimes you just go through this very long processes with people and you just think like, you could have just said yes. <laughs> like that would have been like, 
10 people are involved like it was just like fun <laughs> and can just fix this they just say like yeah okay i get it and they would be like oh nice okay that's nice we, right. we managed to do it um yeah it's just like like when it happens in a good way it's so satisfying and it's mm. also so awkward right like you're like oh so just that was it. it no drama <laughs> <laughs> it's true i think it's and it's it's quite rare i think the the opposite of that of just like spiraling drama is also just a default i think that's just become so common that you're like okay something went slightly wrong and now suddenly everyone is involved and these people can't talk to these people and it's a huge mess and and sometimes that is okay sometimes it depends on the situation sometimes that is what needs to happen but often it was someone just misunderstood what the other person said or they just said it wrong yeah. or we can't meet these like ableist and classist standards of exactly how to speak and exactly what to say to the right thing and maybe it was a double standard and certain people are just hating no matter what they say yeah sometimes it's just like quite yeah doesn't need to spiral into some gigantic thing it's like oops made a mistake okay how do we fix it yeah. okay and then yeah we don't need this like endless spiral of mess um often and then yeah i've had just like a few a few like experiences um and if it's not too personal i think that like we had this where we just kind of like got yeah in a difficult situation with each other and like okay but it's okay to make mistakes yeah. and i think that like that's so that's so rare and such a gift and I think there is something, for me, I mean, I really associate it with class because I think that's something when people are not, and I think that's maybe it's not just a class thing, I think it's all like marginal communities, mm. when people are not disposable because we can't just put people away yeah. because they made one mistake. Yeah. We can't be super fucking pure about it. Yeah. And we need to hold our people close because we just don't have that many. <laughs> and we can't just be throwing people away. We live in Berlin. It's a place where people dispose of other people very easily because there's always some more people. And yeah, I think that care of like, no, like, we'll find a way through this. And yeah. not everything, but like, often it's something we can forgive each other for yeah. and we can find a way forward. And there's something so beautiful about that. Yeah, exactly. But I think, like, at the same time, we are so fixated on understanding abuse mm. that we tend to just overuse these terms like, oh, you've, like, I told you I'm sad and you just, like, looked it the other way and you gaslit, that gaslit me. Like, just, like, how easy mm. we, uh, like, obviously, like, this distinction between conflict and abuse is not as clear as it sounds. But, like, what also sometimes really surprises me is that like you're talking about a clear like structural issue, like mm. a behavior that is harmful to different people because like, I don't know, if somebody's being racist, transphobic or whatever, and you're talking about that behavior, also not that person, that behavior, which can be fixed, mm. like if they want to. And then you see other people be like, yeah, but like this person also hurt me. Like they didn't like offer me the orange juice. I don't know. Like, <laughs> How <laughs> <Or> like, dare <laughs> This person interrupted me also once when I spoke, so I also like kind of like the transmisogyny of someone not offering me the orange juice. I just can't. <laughs> just like I think that's, that's very dangerous when people bring <laughs> yeah. like all levels of harm together and mm. like just like uh, kind of like yeah, like bring it all like in a to a same level, which they really not. And I think that also has created this need for like like this competition of suffering. Like oh, 
like I feel I suffered more so you have to listen to me or like oh no I suffered more and then you have to prove that and that also gets really fucked up because it gets caught in the identity politics and all of that and like no one wins yeah no one wins I remember you wrote something in like an art piece that you made that was like I don't want to win I want the end of winning Mm -hmm. or something like that was that the quote it's there's something in that that's so powerful it's just like let's just change that entire game in fact the game is wrong yeah exactly Um, and yeah, I think there are other games. There are other ways to relate to each other that isn't like a race to the bottom of like who can win the most oppressed thing. And there's something in it, like my sister calls it flattening, which I think is a really interesting way of saying it, where you're just kind of smushing all the things together and calling it the most extreme thing you can find so that you win. So there has to be a game of winning anyway for it to even be a interesting but then whatever happens you're like this is structural violence or this is abuse or mm-hmm. this is um trans misogyny or whatever it is i think people will like go for the most extreme everything is all the same there's no difference between um you know some super transphobic event that somebody ends up in hospital or someone like using the wrong word over dinner or something it's all the same it's all smushed together yeah. it's all flattened and we're going to give it the most extreme words that we can. And all of it is the most extreme thing that ever happened to anyone. And how could you do this? And if it's just like, if it is, yeah, one of the other things where it's just someone said the wrong thing and they just don't know, or they their brain just like doesn't process words in the same way, or whatever millions of reasons that we can have for um, fucking up. And it is fucking up, but it's also like, I think there's something in me, I've had it a lot where, I will even kind of class people in my mind because it's a thing that English people are trained to do. And if someone is wearing class, I just don't really mind what words they use. I'm like, why would you know? Like, I didn't until I like got a class upgrade and went to university and was around people with like big words or something. I wouldn't know. How would you know? And how, yeah. So I think just this like incredibly high expectations that everyone has like swallowed a PhD in gender studies or something, as an example, I'm like talking about gender, but I think it relates to a lot of things. It's just like, it's just a bit impossible. Yeah. And I think it's a double standard because I'll be held to those extremely high standards when I grew up, like basically in a house without any books. And it's just like a bit impossible that I'm ever going to get it all right. And who has time? I don't even have social media. I can't keep up. I'm like, I'm never going to get it right. But then I see like more privileged people in the community can just fuck up and say whatever the fuck they want. Yeah. And I've seen that in Berlin where, like, some incredibly problematic things happened. And because they had the social capital, everyone was fine with it. But I'm held to, like, impossible standards that no one can meet. Exactly. And I think also the more power you have, the more you can get away with that. Mm. And also, like, some people see this as bravery of, like, breaking the boundaries, like, and even support you for that. They're like, oh, wow, I like this. Like, I can also do this. I can use this to excuse my problematic and harmful harmful behavior. Yeah, that's... But also, we don't need to... Like, we can talk about the way we are hurt without theorizing it, Mm -hmm. I feel. And Mm -hmm. I think sometimes, like, you don't have to name something what it's not... Which doesn't mean that harm doesn't happen. Like in the like, obviously that happens a lot. But also, like we don't need to name things that are like you can say like I was really hurt by this friend doing this to me, and I don't want to see them, and that's really okay. Mm, also, sure. But you don't have to call it something that it's not. And then, 
something that is even worse than that. And I see that people do that when it happens to them personally, but what when they witness that happening to somebody else, they have they are suddenly much more like forgiving on like for at somebody else's expense. They're mm. like, oh, but yeah, like okay, like this person wasn't kind to me, so I just like everybody should hate him. But then, oh, this person raped you, but like, oh, okay, yeah, but it's too complicated. I don't know. I just wanna, wow. yeah. Um, so like those double standards also come to play in those situations and I but also it's really funny I don't know just like remind, reminded me of a story of a very intimate story I tried to anonymize it as much as possible but I was in a very intimate setting and so a conversation came up about my role in that setting and somebody was trying to let the other person see that I in that context I was not being heard and that person was like, at some point, they said something that really struck me. I was like, wow, what you're saying is really interesting because they were like, if I accept that you have been unheard and if I go to other situations, um, and these other situations were actually situations of like very clear power situations of okay. where like they have a higher, yeah, like in the higher up in the hierarchy. And like, so in, if in that situation, somebody tells me, oh, you've discriminated me, uh, discriminated against me, then I have to accept that. And I was like, oh my God, you're so afraid to mm-hmm. tell me that you haven't heard me because if you do that, you feel like you're going to lose it's all the a precedent. Yeah. And yeah. Gonna, oh my gosh. And I, I was like, do you not hear what you're telling me? Like, this is so interesting that you even say that openly out loud mm-hmm. and you don't see what's happening there. Like, you're so afraid, in, afraid of losing this power and that you feel like you have to like keep that position of like no just like i am right and this can mm-hmm. be happening like i can't be a person who not allow other people to speak and so if i accept that then my whole world crumbles and i understand that's one of the reasons that people don't want to don't want to understand things and they just like evilize evilize demonize mm-hmm. <laughs> um demonize um other people who are very strict about their values and like they have like like they know why they're reacting in a certain way and they usually try their best not to let their like personal emotionals get into the way that they behave and usually those people are really hated Mm. as well because um yeah i think nobody wants that because they are i think a constant reminder of like oh like if you do something fucked up, I'm gonna see you, and I think right. people hate you for doing that. Yeah, people don't want the mirror. No, they're just like, uh, I just want to get away with it. Yeah, That's not the question. I think there's something so interesting there as well of like people identifying as good people who don't do those kind of things, mm-hmm. as if that somehow makes them exempt, and some magic happens that I don't believe I'm a person who does that. Therefore, I can't do it. And I've literally had a conversation with someone. Um, Back when he lived in Brighton, who was like, there was, you know, people were being called out on, um, it was around racism, I think it was around, I don't know, I can't remember exactly what it was, a festival or something, and the person literally said, like, I'm Antifa, I can't be racist. Yeah. Which, obviously, the opposite is true. Like, if you're Antifa, you should be, like, super, super aware of privileges, positions, um structural racism, things that you've internalized that will take a lifetime to, you know, deconstruct and, and, and sort your shit out. But for them, it was, they were so fragile in a way, and it was just so simple to just be like, uh, no, like, 
I'm Antifa, so I can't. That's just not a thing. Um, so I cannot make mistakes. And there's something like, it's interesting because obviously that person had a bunch of privileges over me. Um, well, it's not obvious, but they did. And I think there's something in there where I kind of always assume I'm making a mistake. <laughs> and I always assume I'm the person who's going to be fucking up because that's what society told me. And this society told this person that actually, like, somehow they're really smart and really great and they're never going to make mistakes. And they smushed that in with their anti-fire and therefore they're exempt and, like, clean and pure yeah. and can never do something wrong, whereas I kind of always assume it's my fault. Yeah. Um, I still have it when I'm driving. It's just like, if anyone beeps a horn anywhere within a kilometer, I assume I did something. I changed the lane without indicating or something. Actually, like, I'm really, really safe, but I always assume it's my fault. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting how society kind of programmed me and this this person who I barely remember, really, but, like, I do remember them saying that, and it's, it's quite impressive, and I don't quite know how to, like, deal with it as well, because it's so obviously illogical. Mm-hmm. Because I think if someone's like, yes, probably society's really fucked up. They taught me this thing. I probably did do that. I'm working on it. How do I fix it? How do I not do this again? Um, not even, I mean, apologies are important. For me, it's not. Like, I, I don't even need an apology usually. I'm just kind of like, can you just like not do it again? Mm-hmm. Just like fix the thing. Apologies, I can't eat them. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I just want the thing to not happen. Um, I know that like apologizing is like a big thing these days, but I, I feel like. It's, yeah, usually, I don't know, it doesn't benefit me when someone apologizes. I'm just like, just fix the thing. Just like, don't do the thing again. Um, it should also be a part of a, the apology. I mean, that's like, right. if we're talking about like, what is an apology, it's not just said words that you'd be like, oh, I did this thing wrong. Apology actually should be doing something against the harm and not repeating it right. and changing it. So it can should be, right? Yeah, yeah but it usually exactly. isn't. I think it's, I think it's the it's symbolic the kind of exactly. wordy part that I'm like, okay, cool, yeah, some words, great. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'll put those in my collection of words. I don't know what to do with that. Um, it's true, it needs to get, be followed by action. Um, yeah, because I think there's just like a different level of humility or something with like, yeah, I probably did fuck up. I came from... A terrible place. I'm working on it. Let me work out what I need to do to like undo that, or like you know manage it, or fix it, or whatever is possible. And I just can't imagine the reality of just being like I don't make mistakes. And like what society must be doing to keep affirming that person's mm-hmm. like bizarre myth that they don't make mistakes. Yeah. Like everyone's telling them that they're great and pure and perfect. I'm like. Wow, like no one ever told me that. Yeah. <laughs> I have the opposite. I can't get anything right. And like it's partly my own stuff, but like people like hold me to impossible standards. Yeah. I think that's true for many marginal people. Exactly. That's really interesting. But also, like, I think that's one of the reasons that entitlement in that form kind of really <laughs> annoys me, like boils something within me. Like when I'm cycling in Berlin and just like when white people take time to do whatever they want to do, they just like see it as a right to block the bike lane, which is also fine. I don't mind. But then once you do it, they just like, it, like they get so annoyed. They're like, don't you know how this works? Like, get the fuck out of my way. And so I like every time I go out cycling, which is quite often, like I feel like I'm going to war because mm. I feel like I constantly need to reclaim this space because how do they feel that it's more theirs that and it's mine and, it's really exhausting and just also like 
I remember like in lines of what you said about um, that, um, like I'm Antifa, so I'm not racist. Like my professor also told me once, like when I confronted her with her racism, I mean, I didn't confront her. I mean, I confronted her, she never responded. I wrote an article, she read it later. Mm-hmm. And then she just sent me an email basically telling me shut the fuck up. But then she was like, how dare you calling me a racist? Which I also didn't do directly. I never mm-hmm. named her. But she was like, how dare you calling me a racist? I have been voting for the Greens since I was 16. <laughs> I was like, oh, you remember this story? Oh my God. And I was like, you are a professor of anthropology. Are you fucking kidding me now? <laughs> I'm immune to racism because I like the Green Party. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, so, and like, you see a lot of this in the I mean, I see the Green Party is super racist as fuck as well. <laughs> so, like, it's not me. Exactly it just really seems even, very improbable. Like, <laughs> that wouldn't help at all. Um, what? Yeah, yeah, and also like how you see how also they try to deflect that on you and being like, right. oh, maybe it's your issue that like what she told me was like kind of assuming my gender identity and my mm. sexual orientation. She was like, because she was a lesbian and she was like, maybe you're homophobic that you have an issue oh, with wow. me. And I was like, oh, wow. Like you already, the, your comment is homophobic because how do you know what I am? So mm. I never talked to this about you. You have no idea. Just because I come from a certain country, you mm. would, did you just assume that you're all like hetero people? Yeah? Well, she couldn't because she's part of the Green Party. She couldn't be. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, so. She couldn't make those assumptions. But like, the, yeah, this is the thing with power that people feel like, oh, I am immune. And like, if I just, like, I can just justify my wrongdoings by just, I don't know, connecting it to things that don't even yeah. like, yeah, so that's uh, very disturbing sometimes to see that, like you are trying to just show the harm and like break it down to them and like find ways to kind of like help the people around who were harmed, and then you see people kind of just like be, oh no, but I like this is me, and if I'm this, then I can't be that, and of course mm. we can be all of that. You are complicated. Right. Like we can all be contradictory and that's something especially i think for marginalized people we should just just treat each other with more forgiveness because mm. we are all contradictory we all make mistakes and that's really okay i mean mm. unless it triggers something really deep inside of us and i understand people wanting to remove themselves from those situations and that's also okay but just like it's just i don't know it's just so much so much hard feelings around things that we don't necessarily need to mm-hmm. be so like have strong feelings about yeah i see that i see that yeah people can get kind of straight to emergency level 10 yeah. when actually kind of nothing really happened yet and you know i get i totally get those trauma responses as well i have the same but i think there's also yeah so i mean with this like professor or the <laughs> racist anti-fire person I think there's like society must be doing something with those very privileged people and, and you use the word entitlement, I think it really fits, where they kind of get away with it and they can just be like, no, because I don't believe in that, therefore I can't do it, or it's art, it's not racism or something. Um and they just kind of have ways to just mm-hmm. like get out of anything, basically. And some someone's letting them get away with it. There's no yeah, accountability. Exactly. And I feel like there's also in there um so i mean particularly the antifa person was very much like within my communities at that point and there's something there's the the same entitlement i think is still there but there's also a fear and that flattening of like human experience where she wasn't able to be like i am both 
like dedicated to anti-racism and also learning how to not be a racist white person. And both of those things are true and there will be mistakes along the road. Yeah. And that and she wasn't able to hold that, like, not really such a complex story, really. It's just like two things at the same time. But she was just like, no, it's like I'm pure and good and racism is bad and I can't be associated with that. And I think there's there's something in there where I, I mean, I'm just trying, trying to like fix it, I guess. <laughs> I don't know if we'll fix it on this podcast episode, but it would be nice, right? Um, <laughs> so this is the solution. <laughs> so everybody listening at home, here comes the solution. Get out your notepad. Uh, <laughs> I don't know that there's anything we can do about entitlement, but I think there's... When I think sometimes it comes from different places. There's one which I think is like double standards, and that's something we can like break down. There's something about that fear that I think you mentioned right at the beginning of like, this is my very simple version of reality. Don't question it because my life will fall apart. Mm-hmm. I don't like these things. I cannot be them. And also if I admit that I made this mistake, I'm going to be punished to fuck and mm. I'm really scared of that. Yeah. And I think that's very real. Like, I don't think the punishment is dealt out equally. I think there are lots of, like, double standards within that. Mm-hmm. But the fear of punishment, the fear of getting it wrong, the fear of saying the wrong thing, the fear of, like, putting the wrong tag on an Instagram post. I think these are words that I don't really know what they mean. Um, I do, really. Um, <laughs> It's just like everyone's being so hyper careful. The people who have to be hyper careful, the other people are like, yeah. you know, passing around like fucking mobility aids as part of an art project in Neukölln. And I was just like, what? I was in some queer event and I'm like, you know, I'm super calling them out, but they need to be called out like a bunch of able people. And then they made some kind of performative art out of like walking sticks and mobility aids. And I was just like, I don't believe what's happening and everyone was super into it and I called them I like questions at them afterwards or whatever and they were just like no it's art it's fine um and this is very much like queer scene kind of political or something but they were like yeah no ableism isn't really a thing in Germany and it was art so that's it um anyway maybe we have to edit that part out we're getting too comfortable (laughs) (laughs) um yeah, so I think, you know, thinking of, like, alternatives to punishment, because I think that's a very real thing. And I, I've i had it. I've had it where I'm, like, scared to admit a mistake. And that stops me from tending to the harm that I've caused, which should be the only thing that I'm thinking about. And there should be a context where I can be like, I made a mistake, that's a normal thing. Let me work out how to fix it. And instead... I see people getting scared because it's it's scary and they spiral and they start doing all kinds of weird <laughs> fucking shit rather than just dealing with the thing. They were like, oh, I messed up. Let me fix it. And they start doing anything else to avoid the fact that they messed up because oh it's God, such a terrifying they thing. Deep, deeper, yeah. And they just dig deeper. It's yeah. exactly that. They're just like, oh my God, stop. Like, just, just fix the thing. <laughs> stop moving. Just stop moving. <laughs> It's so real. Yeah. Yeah. I just, again, like, I I think this is a question that many people have, like, how to avoid this. I mean, I'm not even talking about it, like, a big scale. I'm just, like, even in a smaller communities, even in interpersonal situations, like, 
I feel like I sometimes I've lost my trust in myself because I have like put a lot of effort into creating spaces within the people that I knew to just let them feel loved and secure and know that like if they make even like huge mistakes on my expense um, I would forgive them if they are willing to take accountability and understand and listen and I would do the same for them I mean if I make a mistake I would also do that and I thought okay so they haven't had this alternative so this is the this is the reason they're reacting that way uh, and I had some privileges to work with people or like just like I don't know came across like resources that taught me to do that so I should share this with other people and how else would they understand that nobody's going to execute them if they mm. make a mistake but then, so I was like, so I just like, I also didn't have that much access to the community outside and was a bit lost. So I was like, oh, I started from my own circles. And then I realized, oh, actually, this was very unhealthy for me because I just, just like, it became my sort of my responsibility to just, people were kind of see it as my responsibility to be like, oh, you can harm Salah. Because even like that was me at the end of the day who would take their hand and be like, okay, like let's go to work together. Like mm. this is what what you did. This is how it made like made me feel right. bad. And you do all that work for hours and hours explaining it to someone, and not only they don't acknowledge that, but then after a few times they see it as your responsibility. Mm. They're like, oh, why is she not doing this for me anymore? And then you realize once it's like, like, like. That is the opposite side happening with you or with other people, how they like completely like have different expectations of themselves, which is also I understand like we didn't have practice, we didn't have communities mm. where we had like these practices. And I'm, so like my question is like, how do you, how do we create those spaces where we can hold each other accountable and ourselves, but at the same time, not like cross our own boundaries or become these caretakers or these mm. educators this just like not fall into these fixed roles of like uh i don't know like yeah just like i don't know how like for example trans people or black people have been like educating people for like and now it's like as if it's like their fucking responsibility that as if they're being paid for that like somebody you were having this conversation with someone and um somebody started like bringing up this feminist name and then he was like yeah but like if she does that I was like yes she's also fucking tired and he was like yeah but like I can never do this like for me it's enough to change one person but if you're willing to do that good for you but then you shouldn't get tired and I was like <laughs> then you should have no limits like first of all she didn't choose to be in that position no, she no. sees it as her responsibility she can't opt out like you do and for you, it's enough to educate one person. She has educated hundreds, and yet you're like, that's not enough. She right. should <laughs> just, I just... I was told the same thing. I, at some point, I was just like, yeah, like, this is not the time where I'm going to answer those questions. But like, but you're the person that answers the questions. Like, this is, you, you signed up for this. I was like, well, I didn't really, but also... Even if it was my job, you can like leave your work, right? Um, you can go home. That's a thing. Um, certain people can. Certain people can. Yeah. The the factory owner can. The factory worker cannot. And I think there's a thing there. Like mm. I was just like, oh, so like now that I'm in this role for you, you're entitled to my labor forever and always, and I have no boundaries. And you want me to work weekends too? And it was. None of this was actually employment, but it was like this kind of like employment contract where it's in someone's mind they were like, "No, you're the person who trans like teaches me about trans misogyny or something, and this is like what you do now, forever and ever, because 
I'm entitled to your labor. Exactly, exactly. Just terrifying. I mean, thank you for bringing up the nuance of like, that it, yeah, I think there's this balance, right, of like, either my only response to things is to like, call the strongest oppression I can find in this situation and punish the fuck out of everybody and my friends never talk to your friends ever again and we can't be in the room together. Or... I'm the person who's quite forgiving and I'm going to educate you not only about what you did, but also about transformative justice and restorative justice and healing justice for months and months and months. And then I, that's that's all I am for you. And it's like, I'm just going to like be offering that work to people who like already hurt me and now I just have to forgive them forever. And somewhere in between, there has to be something that isn't that because that's awful. Yes. Um, and I see people going between those two extremes mm-hmm. as well, where someone's put in this, like, I have to be really forgiving, I don't get to have boundaries um, situation. Then there'll be some kind of emancipation or empowerment or something, and they'll go to, like, super hyper boundaries where everything is a violation <laughs> of my boundaries. It's like, oh, my God, I just offered you tea, leave me alone. And then it flip back to the other. It's just like people kind of go between these extremes, and I yeah. think it's a really hard thing to balance or mm-hmm. find, like, some kind of constructive or healthy or so I don't know if these are good words but like yeah some balance in the middle where yeah it's not so many boundaries that no one can even see you anymore or no boundaries at all and I'll just like deal with everybody's shit forever and ever and they can do what mm-hmm. they want for me it's, there's something in the middle <laughs> I mean what we did like our group was kind of that for me although like we had very I think different visions of like this whole transformative justice group and it was an intimate small group but at the same time that was such a good example for me. I mean, also the topic was transformative justice, but like the way we, we talked to each other, yeah. <laughs> it was just like such a such an amazing experience of like, okay, not everyone on that group were the people I knew, or like I don't even know if we stand politically on the same like ground, mm-hmm. but at the same time we managed to just treat each other with so much care and mm-hmm. love and just. There was so much space for everybody to bring something to the table. And at the end, also, like, the way that we, from the beginning, like, we talked about, okay, what do we need? What do we do if somebody wants to go out? Like, how do we communicate that? Like, how do we give a space? How do we not put the spotlight on somebody when they, like, feel that they're tired, that they need rest? Like, all of these things. And I was like, oh, my God, this is actually really easy. And people, like, I may, maybe there was a time in my life that I would think, like, oh, things should happen organically. And, like, this is, uh, but, like, it's, like, constant. It's, like, like relationships. You have to fucking communicate. And it's because it always happens. Like, especially in groups, I've seen, like, there was a lot of people are really trying to create communities, to bring groups to, together. And, like, every time that happens, there's a part of it that, like, oh, I know this group is going down. <laughs> like, in a matter of months, it's in that transformative justice group is like it was very just like we managed to do it mm. it was like a smaller scale for me it was like oh it's possible and also i like because we had this big break and then we decided not to continue at the moment but also the way that we came to that conclusion was so i think it was the best closing i've ever had in my me life <laughs> <laughs> that was like yeah but i'm and i just wonder like what made it possible and how can we have that more often mm. and yeah i don't know if we were more like maybe if we were having like because you and me are close but like i'm like i'm thinking that if we were like closer to each other or like more intimate of friends 
would it would it also be possible to have the same rhythm or mm. like I don't know, but it's still like on a scale of social organizing. I think it was a really good example of oh, it is basically possible. It just right. needs active reflection. Active reflection, and I think like kind of a commitment to doing it right. Mm. There was something in there. We weren't. There wasn't the game of who's going to win this. The winning was let's do this right and take care of each other, which is a difficult thing to be like, care is the strategy, but also maybe care is the strategy. I think like caring for ourselves, caring for each other was a fucking powerful tool that we had and we committed to. And that protocol that we created, which I think like, I'm just going to do that for every project I ever work on ever again now, was just so nice. And it was like, in concrete terms, it was kind of like, okay, if somebody wants to take a break, how do we communicate that? Which channels do we use to communicate with the rest of the team? If we want some, how are we going to like add new members? How are we going to make decisions about that? And just like really breaking it down. But I think particularly the parts of like, if we don't want to do this anymore, if someone individual doesn't want to do it anymore, um, if we need to take a break, if we can't follow through on a task that we've committed to, but then the roof falls in and we need to like be late with it. How do we communicate that? And like, how do we just, yeah, not... How do we just take care of each other through all the things that are definitely going to happen? I think there was a lot of wisdom of just like sometimes the roof will fall in, mm-hmm. sometimes yeah. a project won't work out for yeah. more than a year. Sometimes you know we're just very weird about it. Sometimes you get tired yeah. <laughs> and you can't do a thing. Um, and I think that work already just showed so much commitment to just like getting this right is more important than me individually yeah. winning something exactly. out of it. And that's beautiful. I think that is, mm-hmm. I think that I've seen that some just rarely in groups where people are like more committed to the thing, like outside of Europe. I think inside Europe, this is like a really rare thing where, yeah, people are so individualized, atomized, everyone's a little bit like, what can I get out of this thing? And I have spent time in other social movements outside Europe where people just did it differently. And also like, yeah, some European movements that are maybe like more working class or something, where people are just like, it's a lot more serious. People are just like, well, yes, me and my family need this thing that we're like fighting for, but like we all need it. And it's just, it's just something beyond like, do I get credit for being in this demonstration or like, is this going to look good on my Instagram profile mm-hmm. or am I going to win in this group or something? Mm-hmm. Um, whatever winning looks like, but I do feel like people are trying to win a lot. <laughs> And that's just never my, I don't know. I mean, maybe it isn't, I'm just not aware of it, but I, I'm usually like, let's just do a thing. This thing needs to happen. How do we make the thing happen? More than like, what can I get out of this? How can I win? I mean, the whole capitalism is like, evolves around like personal winning. Right. Just like, so, mm. but like, it's also depends on how you describe winning for yourself. Cause like, it's so rewarding when you experience that like collective experience. Right, totally well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but like that's, such right. a much more much more fulfilling than mm. just being like oh I did this and I'm so amazing it looked like how great I am but like you see like oh we managed to do this thing together and we it worked out and it wasn't like we agreed on everything actually yeah we had all. very different ways of dealing yeah. with things and we had like we were in so many different places like it wasn't like we were on the same which page. made it richer and more interesting yeah, as well exactly like, I think, like there was space for that yeah it wasn't that we were all trying to be one homogenous group and definitely not yeah that is what people do when they flatten their own experiences they try and flatten everybody else's as well they're like if you don't agree with me you're yeah. or something it's like no like, let's embrace all the different things because yeah. that might be cute and interesting and maybe we'll all learn exactly. something 
Yeah, this would be really nice. But also, like, I remember reading your your first book. I was, um, like, there were bits where, like, I, I just actually forgot this exact sentence is what I had in my mind for a while because, like, there were some points where somebody would just say something or ask the wrong question and then the, the character would be like, oh, it's, I'm sorry, it's, like, wrong of me to just say it like this or to ask you this. And just, like... I feel like it's very rare that I read something in it like this in a novel. <laughs> it was just so satisfying because I was like, as soon as something problematic was said, I was like, oh fuck, what is gonna happen? Because like my, I went my my own trauma response. I was like, oh, the other person is gonna attack now, and then it would just de-escalate in the next line, and I was like, oh. <laughs> so I think like having that example even in your writing, in like when you read novels to see like, oh, like they have conflicts, but they also managed to go around it or like they could be even like more serious conflicts or even like harmful behavior and like how do you go about it and mm -hmm. it's possible not only in a in theory but also we should be able to see it possible in i don't know in literature in movies in like people around us mm -hmm. and i think that was one of the reasons that i really enjoyed that book that i was like oh like It just gave me this like peace of mind that I was like, oh, I'm not. I mean, obviously, the story is very like um, there is a lot of um, like you, I experienced a lot of fear because obviously it's a dystopian situation or like maybe like half a little bit like it's, it could yeah. also be like a utopian situation at the same time. But also, yeah, so there is a lot of excitement. But at the same time, I was like, oh, just like it's so it's so refreshing to read a story of like how people Just like especially these two main characters, Ash and Pino, how they're just like so like loving to each other. They support each other even though they're so different and they can just also do things that would like not sit with the other person, right? Or yeah, that was just like very that was such a nice example. But it's also mm. sad to see like how easy it can be and how we are so impressed by that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's what I was thinking. It was like, and it's so rare, and that's that's the sad thing. I mean, yeah, it was very intentional. I think the those were the parts that were very utopic for me. Um, so yeah, indeed, I talk about it all the time. How you know it's always classified as a dystopia, and I'm like, well, the like oppressive, racist, ableist, transmisogynist state that's like fucking up everybody's life. That part is just real life. That's not <laughs> even very futuristic or dystopic. Climate change, like it's very real. That's it's dystopic, but that's the world we live in. Uh, the utopic part is that people are like fucking up and trying to get better at it and like trying to take care of each other, building alternatives to the shitty systems of oppression. And that feels like utopia. And I do see it also in mm -hmm. real life, but it's there were some things where I was like, I just need this to, even if it only exists like on page, <laughs> I want like, I think that's also in Dignity, the, the latest of the novel in the trilogy, I think there's a point where they're looking back and they're like, I think Ash and Pino are in bed or something and they're talking about like how it used to be really shitty. There was no accountability or certain people got accountability, but certain people were held to really high standards and something, something, something. And like everybody was too traumatized to be in a room together, which is something like I still experience all the time. It's just like this phrase in my head. I'm like, oh my God, sometimes we're all just too traumatized to be in a room together, which is horrible and also true. Um, and they're looking at it back at it in the past and that things have changed and how did it change and it's still not perfect and we still have a long way to go but that's not a thing anymore mm -hmm. um and i can't remember how how it was
was how it achieved. I can't remember that part, but I just remember like it being in the power. So it was like that was that was a terrible thing. Um, we were all really like scared to to fuck up. We were all being held to such high account, like high standards. Um, and I think Ash is like really fucked up. Things happened to me, and no one was held accountable mm-hmm. because like no one cared about those things. But she was held to impossible um, standards, and yeah, like very much like real experience for a lot of people I know. But it's in the past, and we don't do that anymore. And we've moved on from that. And there's something like, like I don't know. It gives me like little goose pimples or something. Yeah. Like, imagine if we didn't do that shit yeah, anymore. Exactly. If we found something else, and I'm sure there are people in the world who don't do it. Yeah. Um, I have experienced it in like relationship and like community and organizing relationships where people are like it's more important for me that we fix this and we take care mm-hmm. of each other than that I fucking win the argument mm-hmm. or something. Like, I do see it. I do see people creating alternatives just in the way they communicate, forgive each other. Yeah. Um, analyze double standards. I think... I think some people around us, I think I think we also do it every yeah. day. I think yeah. a little bit, like, there are like, these moments of, like... Yeah, what I think of as being, like abolition of punishment just in there we're like mm, i'm not gonna punish you i'm gonna let's, i'm more committed to like working this thing out or yeah. like let's find a way to move forward and there's something so cool just about that like, yeah. that's that's kind of everything yeah and if it doesn't work out we can walk away also like mm. worst case scenario like that's also always an option like right. we don't need to destroy the other person mm. to prove ourselves that we did right like yeah so that's yeah i totally agree with that and I think, yeah, it is kind of liberating and also, like, I think the more you value these things, the more you also create spaces where you can practice them. And I also see mm. myself now in my life, I've been through a lot of, like, this, like, conversations about accountability, about harm, about, like, um, community and all of that. And just, I think I paid a very high price and I also had to remove myself from many situations and that was very lonely and isolating for a lot of long time but at the same time I feel like it also enabled me to recognize that urge that wish in other people and like like that brought me closer to them and now because of that I managed to start like smaller much much smaller communities Mm. maybe like mostly relationship with individuals or sometimes like few individuals together where we all maybe like obviously never like not everybody's on the same page exactly but we all have similar values and the like that's those relationships and the like the if you also work with these people together in whatever like if you like if you want to look in this capitalistic way of outcome it's so <laughs> just my mind is like internalized capitalism no but like it's um, like even if you want to work with these people i think the outcome um because i think people it's more tangible for people mm-hmm. but like it's just i don't know it's just like when i'm now when I meet people and I go home, I feel fulfilled. Mm. And I think like I can't say the same thing about two years ago, maybe because I was like, oh, I'm so tired. I'm fucking exhausted because I either had to put like some lead on my like thoughts and values and the like the things that were informed by my awareness that I really fought for. Or like I had to start this like educational process or confrontations that I like was taking so much energy for me and now I go see my friends and I just like even before I sometimes react I see that they do and I'm like oh this is so nice Mm. (laughs) 
So I also see that it's possible, but obviously we need to just expand this to a mm. bigger extent so that more people feel that. But yeah, it's difficult. It's a lot of work. It is a lot of work. Sometimes I think there's like experimentation as well of just like trying these alternatives because as we said at the beginning, like we don't have models for it. Like no one taught us this stuff. Yeah. We're just kind of working it out. Um, but you do write, and I'm curious, like, how does writing play into, like, your activism? Or... Mm. Yeah, I actually, uh, you, you actually read my first draft of the last article I wrote about, which is about the commodification of trauma and also, like, how basically uh, just, like, the ruling class kind of getting off on, uh, like, marginalized people's uh, trauma mm. and, like, how they are only... They basically are only humanized in terms of like in the role of victims. They only like we are only seen where we're like victimized or like um, just uh, because like what else do you have to say? Like if you're a marginalized person, like the only like the only stories you see of like usually, I mean now they're trying to change that. A lot of people are putting a lot of work in that. Like but. Um, usually you see like every time you hear about trans people it's about them being violated mm. or like it's just like and I just really or eating babies in the women's toilet <laughs> oh god yeah they're just like threatening victimizers like mm. nobody wants them around or like for example like I can this is something that I wrote about like I can talk about an experience like if somebody attacks me on the street for like a, because they're racist and I come to work and tell my colleagues about it they're like oh that's so awful but if you say like oh this is this report is fucking racist and they're like how dare you who are you to say this are you personally hurt by that tell me about that pain and i'm like no it's not about my fucking identity why can't i have an opinion about these things like just because you see me as a victim just because you see me as the like the oppressed majority minority whatever um doesn't mean that i'm not capable of like yeah so like i i feel like i can never like you can never validate your like claims without bringing up a personal like heartbreaking story yeah you know exactly i mean it reminds me of when i was being interviewed about the get home safe project and the person just really and i like it was so basic i couldn't believe what was happening but she was really obsessed with like but obviously you're doing this because something really terrible happened to you on public transport and that's why you're organizing this like mutual aid uh, fund to get um, people at risk home safely on like by whatever means possible with extra money. And so like, but no, this happened to you, right? So like you really, as if like risk was not a thing that anybody knew about unless I could give her like a really sexy exactly. violation story on the, on the underground or something and nothing. And there's the commodification of that. And I think there's also the layer where that becomes something that infiltrates like our like communities and I don't know social media and the way we communicate and stuff where that flattening where we're like exaggerating things sometimes because otherwise we just won't get hurt unless we're calling it the biggest word we can find Mm -hmm. nobody responds properly and the louder we shout and everybody gets desensitized to everybody screaming and so you have to scream even louder and like really weaponize things and weaponize anything and like find something to like instrumentalize to 
get your voice heard unless yeah. just no one cares and there's just kind of like an endless cycle I feel like there's just like at some point like there's only so much people <laughs> you can't just keep creating like stronger and stronger words and sometimes it is the strongest word yeah. like, not to negate that like really terrible things happen they've happened to me but sometimes it's not that and sometimes people are flattening all the experience but calling it the strongest thing and it's a personal yeah. violation because that looks good in the that article or yeah. people can like respond to that as you say like we don't get to analyze things yeah. or like talk about anything unless it's like us personally yeah all we are is bodies that just like bad things happen to and they, they, then we become a bit more interesting yeah Oof. But also, like, that's how there is money to be made out of that, out of those personal stories, because, like, all of these neoliberal institutions from academia to, like, I don't know, just, like, journalism industry, like, media, all of that, they're, like, oh, just, like, yeah, has, like, they are just, like, oh, okay, we just, like, make this a story about how this, I don't know, this women have been, uh, like, a victim of domestic violence, Mm -hmm. and like that's okay and he would be like oh poor woman what an an asshole husband and that's it but then obviously it also shifts attention from the source of the problem which Mm -hmm. is the fucking like marriage which is like a patriarchal institution but nobody wants to talk about that because like this is like they are all connected because this is where the money is being made especially if the charity needs some more money yeah exactly yeah it's just like personal stories (laughs) yeah so like i think this is only this is what I also wrote about that these are the only situations where we can like start in like all oh, the cutie BIPOC people like this is the only shows that we can be like oh hey yeah it's my oppression story like you can just like and you get so much attention from it like you and if you don't if you refuse to sell that you like you might be rendered as invisible your work might be rendered as invisible and I'd be like this is happening to a lot of people who are doing amazing work here but they're not even like making a living out of it like just both of us right and we can't make a living out of it we yeah. have to do other shit to be able to pay our rent and all of that and but i think if we really lean into trauma porn we could be rich yeah exactly yeah it's <laughs> like it's a whole industry of trauma porn yeah if we just were willing to really really to go there yeah i'm sure we could like yeah we could we have we have access yeah <laughs> just like take my camera to iran and they love it in germany especially like oh oppression yeah you give it to me let me let me see that like women in hijab and how they're oppressed and just feel good about myself and i'm like oh god (laughs) i don't know where we go from there (laughs) yeah i feel like we're just like chill i don't want him to end them So that's bad. Well, let's not do that. No, but I think it is really, I think it's an important thing that we like can see or like, you know, perceive process those like very neoliberal institutional um, ways of commodifying. Oh, I'm using all these long words. Which, you, you bring this out in me. You're like, give me all these words um, of commodifying experience and like trauma porn and stuff because a lot because like all capitalism we internalize it and all yeah. oppression we're internalizing it and i've definitely done it i've definitely like used a sob story to win the thing whatever it was like yeah. I, it's definitely a thing um it makes me ashamed to admit it but it's like of course like we've all internalized terrible things yeah. from where we come from and i think particularly when you don't have other tools we fall back on whatever we've learned and there is something in there of like just changing instincts or changing like gut reactions where we're like, it's a gut reaction? No, let's say instinct, where 
knee, knee jerk reaction. That's what I'm trying to say. Like an automatic kind of like, this thing is happening. I will respond in this way. And rather than it be like, I will respond with, I'm not being heard. I must use trauma porn. Or I fucked up. I must spiral and make a whole movie and do anything other than admit that I made a mistake. Or, you know, <laughs> like maybe it's like programming in, programming is a terrible word, but like building in some kind of like alternative ways of responding where you're like, yeah, just something other than that. And I think that that only works if everyone's kind of like into that and doing it. Because if everyone's looking for trauma porn and that's what we expect on Instagram or something, if you're the only one who's not doing it, you won't make a living. Yeah. And if everyone's like, you don't need to do this, we're going to perceive you and, and, and like care for you and make sure you get what you need, regardless of what your story is. We're going to care for everyone. We won't punish you. We're going to like find a way forward. We're going to care for each other. Then at some point, trauma point just doesn't mean anything mm-hmm. anymore. You're like, you can do that, but you won't get more for it. Mm-hmm. You don't need to. You're going to get your needs met. Because I think often we're just scared and we're just trying to get our needs met. Yeah. I think particularly when it's like marginal people doing all these things and we all do all these fucked up things all the time. We're just, we're not getting what we need. And so we're just like, ah, I will spiral. I will attack. I will... Um, any of these other things that feel like a solution, but probably not really, and we kind of know that it's not going to work. Um, but how else will we get our needs met? Mm-hmm. And I think the more we can just like have those experiences and contexts and spaces where we're like, okay, I'm I'm, I'm good here. I I have what I need. Mm-hmm. I don't need to fight. I don't need to. Um, yeah, perform anything can just be and be taken care of and get what I need and it's really rare but like I, th- I feel like that's a place to start somehow yeah. is like creating those spaces because then we just don't need all those other things exactly. and it becomes irrelevant yeah. Like, yeah me too it's okay yeah and also I think a lot of it also is about self-love and just accepting like what you I mean like that's also a very like fine line between that <laughs> um what was it? Uh, narcissism sometimes. <laughs> but also, like, I think there was, for example, when it came to, like, sexual assault experience for me, like, there was a time that I needed people to acknowledge what had happened to me. And when they refused, I kind of felt like, oh, I'm not being a good victim because I'm not performing in a way I'm mm-hmm. a good victim. I'm not talking about the pain, that the hurt that I've been experiencing. I'm just talking about it as if it's a piece of news. And this is not satisfying enough because people want this performance like as a good victim. First of all, we have to be pure. Second of all, we have to perform. We have to cry. We have to, you know, talk about all of these things. And how can you just avoid all of that? But then there was a point that I was like, if I, if I trust myself with that and if I know, like if I believe myself basically, then I won't actually really need to prove them that this right. is Right, the context and the spaces you yeah. invite, you're like, I, I'm just going to let this, this yeah. is a real thing, I'm going to perceive it in myself. Yeah. I'm going to be heard by myself. Yes. I'm going to take care of myself mm-hmm. first. And yeah. then it doesn't really matter if people are doing it or not yeah. doing it because you're doing it, I love that. Yeah. It's a really good, like, sustainable place to start as well because you probably have some control over yeah, like, how much exactly. you care for yourself at least. Um, and yeah, controlling other people doesn't usually work. So I, I feel like that's, that's fucking beautiful. 
That's a great place to yes, end the exactly. podcast. Yes, exactly. I'm like, we finally managed to get something positive. <laughs> yes, we did it. <laughs> I told you we were going to solve this. We found it. Sounds not. <laughs> Don't fall into narcissism. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, great. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. It was really nice. I like now I want to do podcasts with us. Yes, let's do more. <laughs> Okay, part two coming soon. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thank you.